I want to ask you a question. What power, if you could choose a power, what power do you wish you could have today? One of my sons wishes he had the power of Sonic the Hedgehog to run really fast. That's, that's, pretty, that's pretty cool. But I'm not talking about that kind of power. As a human being, as a Christian, what gift do you wish you had as uh, you had so as to really, you know, do ministry? And, you know, do it well in your mind. It's like, if I could have uh, an ability to do something well, what gift do I wish I could, I could have? Do you ever see someone with a gift, that someone has a gift, and, and think about a man, if I could just, if I could only have such a gift, then I could do great things. I've often thought that. I've often thought, man, I, I wish I could preach the cross like Graham, meditate on a word like Spurgeon, exegete the New Testament like Carson, exegete the Old Testament like Selhammer, apply the scriptures like Tripp, uh, appeal to atheists like Keller, evangelize like Lindsay, per persevere like MacArthur, and equip like Dever. I mean, I, I've looked at a number of people. I could get, name a number of saints. Uh, I wish I had the strength of Elizabeth Elliot. You could just keep going down the line of admirable gifts and think, man, I wish I had that gift. Yesterday I thought, man, I wish I was, I wish I were more uh, like Laura in Grace. Those are all good things for me to desire. But the New Testament encourages us, and by the way, the New Testament does encourage us to desire helpfulness, right? To, it's good to desire that. But here's the thing. Sometimes members like you and me desire to be better simply because it would make us feel better about ourselves. That's not a good reason to desire gifts. I'll just apply it to my, where I live, okay? Do, do I need to go home today and strategize to create a, you know, a, a worship experience where people get all the, all the feels when they come to that service? Do I need to work on a great video system and, and PowerPoint display? Do I need to focus on you know, us making sure we have the best musical performances and better staging? Do I need to find you know, our members who have the, you know, the appearance of a stronger stage presence and, and hold them up as the norm? Well, some would say yes. In fact, some have written articles and books that tell me to do those things. Some have said that that would make me a success as a pastor. But those aren't the signs of real power in a church according to, to the Word of God. What are the signs of God's power at work in a church? The recently deceased J.I. Packer concluded about this in his book, Knowing God, that it was when God restores standards of the Christian life and experience, which the New Testament sets forth as being entirely, wait for it, ordinary. And Packer added that a right mind, clarifying, a right-minded concern for revival will express itself not in a hankering after tongues, you know, ultimately it's, it's of no importance whether we speak in tongues or not, Packer says, but rather in a longing that the Spirit of God may shed God's love abroad 
in our hearts with great power. End quote. That God's love would be manifested in the congregation. That's a display of God's great power. What if I told you that the most important gift and power we should desire is for God to gift us with a love for himself and for his people? That's the most important. I mean, can't we just work that up in ourselves today? I'll let you ponder that and see if that's true. But Scripture indicates that we have none loved God. It's not our natural disposition. We have none loved Him in truth. We have all loved ourselves. To quote Terrell Owens, I, who said, I love me some me. He did say that. It's a true quote. But, you know, T.O. was just saying what often we, how we function. We love me some me. God being the one, though, who is most lovely and worthy is pushed aside by us regularly. We as human beings have found the things of this world, we have found created things more attractive. We have allowed our own pursuits, our pursuits and our agenda to be, a, be our highest ambition. We love ourselves. We have a high view of ourselves and typically a low view of God. And that's mankind in general, in need of salvation. But what about the church? Can't people who claim Christ as Lord drift away from love of God? Well, yes. There are people that can be a part of a church that claim the name of Jesus. They drift so far away from Him, they end up denying the Lord Jesus Christ. They can drift so far that they even do acts of service in a way that's really about them. What if I told you this morning that the most important work we should hunger for every day is for God to give us a deep love for Himself? That when we love God as we ought to, other things begin to get in place. Well, I'd be in step with the Bible if I told you that this morning. Let's take our Bibles and turn to one of the most familiar passages in all of the Bible, 1 Corinthians 13. 1 Corinthians 13. I'm going to give a little background, context. Um, I'm going to read the entire chapter, but today's sermon is going to be focusing only on the first three verses. I don't want to blow through that. I've preached this chapter before um, in a separate off-series I did years ago, and uh, there's so much good in this chapter for us this morning and for the next couple of weeks. Uh, I do not want to go through it too fast. I pray God would write these truths on our hearts and encourage us in the Lord. But let me give some background here. 1 Corinthians is a corrective letter of response from the Apostle Paul, the Apostle of Christ Paul, to the local church there in Corinth. It's a masterpiece of helping churches to think in light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It reveals the wisdom of God in contrast to man's wisdom. It calls the church and individuals to die to selfishness and to pour out their lives as Jesus poured out his life for them. Our larger context in chapters 11 through 14 is Paul dealing with order in the church service. 
Some were throwing off gender roles and, and social cues that distracted from God's order, deny God's order, and hurt the gospel. Some were segregating because of worldly socioeconomic status and cutting members off at the Lord's Supper. Chapter 12, we learn that some had begun to separate themselves as special because of certain grace gifts they had been given to speak publicly. Some who thought because they had the gift of tongues, they were among the spiritual elite, therefore, in the church. And remember, it's true, friends, as you read your New Testament, God did unique things uh, like giving some the ability to speak the language of another group so that that group might hear and understand the Word of God. Read the book of Acts. You'll see miraculous things taking place. He gave them the gift of tongues, which was, again, quite impressive. They were gifted. That's not what we're talking about. That's not the problem Paul's addressing here. The problem was they thought that, they, that those gifts magnified their greatness rather than God's greatness. So let's pick up where we left off at the end of chapter 12, verse 31. Look at verse 31. It really should start chapter 13. Chapter, chapter 12 should end at 31a. But eagerly desire the greater gifts. Remember we talked about the gifts of edification? And now, verse 31, or better translated, and I am showing you the most excellent way. I'm going to show you the most excellent way. I'm showing it to you right now, going into chapter 13. So you desire gifts, but let me show you a better path. Let me show you what you should desire. Let's go to chapter 13, verse 1. And am I speaking too loud? Can you hear me at this tone right here? In the back, can you hear me, Deb? Very good. I'll try not. It's the, it's the noise. I'm, I'm, I'm really striving not to be too loud where I'm standing. Thank you. All right, let's begin. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 1. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when perfection comes, the imperfect disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put away childish things, I put childish ways behind me. Now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. 
And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. This is God's holy word. Amen. Can't you see Paul's point here? Love for God was absent. And their labors were in vain. People were doing things in the name of Jesus, but it was void in the eyes of God because they were about magnifying themselves. Look at me, look at me. So let me be clear here. Throughout history, it seems the church has found it difficult to be loving. It's always been difficult in the flesh. You know, it's easier to be orthodox than to be loving. It's easier to be active in church work than to be loving. The chief characteristic that God demands of his people is love. And the term is often misunderstood. The term, the Greek term, as you know, many of you know agape. It's defined for us. You want to know what it means? Read verses 4 through 7. It stands in contrast to the more base affections. Its most distinguishing feature is a lack of self-interest, and it proceeds out of a heart of care and concern for others, for others, for others. So like an, oa like, like an oasis in a desert of problems, this chapter is a great refresher. It reminds us that the goal of our salvation isn't simply escape from hell, but a community of supernatural love. Gifts build up the church, but love is superior since the goal and aim of the gift is love. God communicates, excuse me, gifts communicate God's power and presence, but love delights in relationship, finding its joy in the presence of the beloved. Here's the central point if you're taking notes this morning. Church, everything we do should be done in love of Christ. Everything we do should be done in the love of Christ. Everything we do should be done in the love of Christ. Let's get into this sermon then. Point one this week. The love of Christ is necessary. The love of Christ is necessary. Focusing in on verses one through three. If you look at that section, Paul brings exaggerated gifts up in a hypothetical way to drive home the point here that love of Christ is necessary. You know he's speaking exaggerated here because verse 9 says right now that we know in part and we prophesy in part. So his goal here is to exaggerate gifts to, to highlight. You can have the extreme version of the gift and the absence of love and that therefore negate them. The love of Christ is necessary. First sub-point. Without the love of Christ, we are irritating. Without the love of Christ, we are irritating. Verse 1. He says there, if you speak with unlearned languages, he's talking about tongues, of people, or of angels for that matter, but do not have love for God, you are merely an irritating sound like that of a gong or a clanging symbol. 
Paul says, it's like a reverberation that will not stop or the shrillness of a cymbal that grates on the nerves. Like motorcycles that drive by obnoxiously while I'm preaching. Just noise. You know, many a parent has regretted getting, you know, say their nine-year-old a drum set. And many a church has lived to regret allowing some into public ministry. Why? Drum set. But look here, their lack of love made their ministry annoying and irritating is what Paul is saying here. It's so offensive to use, to others, to use our gifts without love. It's a turnoff to people. The actions which should have been used to build the body in unity are being used to build up themselves. So no matter what our gifting, if we don't use it to glorify God and honor Jesus and build others up to love Jesus more, we are nothing. I mean, without love, we are nothing in our gifting, but irritating, hard to be around. And the same is true in preaching, in counseling, in discipling. If our love for God is not real, our ministry will grate on others. Our love for Jesus will pour out of us in grace, truth, and love, or it won't. It will be about, it, we are to have zeal for him. We're to be living out verses 4 through 7 as we love one another in the church. Can you think of ways, friends, today where you might be irritating to someone because of a lack of love you have for Jesus or a lack of love you have for them. Can you think of a way where you have graded on someone and it's likely due to a lack of love? As a husband, as a, as a parent, as a pastor, as a friend, I know I have at times been like Moses. I've spoken out of frustration and inconvenience. And those times of service are negated to nothing in God's eyes because they were without love. I mean, can't we be very right in our own eyes and speak truth but be all about ourselves, be lacking love? You ever done that before? It's not pretty. It's love that marks someone as possessed by the Holy Spirit, as being led and filled with in submission to the Holy Spirit. Friends, Paul wants us to stop being impressed with ourselves and more impressed with giving ourselves like Jesus did. We need to pray for God's love to be shed abroad in our hearts more than for Him to give us more gifts of ministry. We need our hearts right first. God, fill my heart with love because all this ministry is just going to be a disaster if I'm not filled with a love for Jesus and then as an offshoot of that, a love for your people. Charles Spurgeon said, How little glory God often gets out of great gifts. Gifts may be prostituted to the vilest purposes, but love always brings glory to God's holy name. Amen. Second subpoint, verse 2. Without the love of Christ, we are nothing. First one was, we are irritating. The second one, we are nothing. Look at verse 2. Note the irony. Those who want status in the church are finding out that they are nothing. Verse 2. 
if we can speak the reception of spontaneous revelations, prophecy, at an appointed time before the church, and if we could be so prophetic, look at verse 2, having an understanding of all mysteries and all knowledge and have not love, we are still nothing. The revelations here, again, are spontaneous and not studied, for mysteries are divine secrets that are not given through study and reflection. So we could be disclosing, for example, this is Paul's point. You could be disclosing previously unknown truth bombs <laughs> and not have love and therefore be nothing. You're nothing. He's speaking again exaggerated terms. It's not the gift. It's not the exercise of the public speaking. So Paul, again, is not diminishing our need for knowledge. You know that. He's making a different point. Love for God and for His people worked out in the heart is the edifier. It is the builder. So only love can understand the wisdom of the cross. Fellowship with God does not come through knowing all kinds of new information, new revelation. It comes through a deepening love for Him by the Holy Spirit. Furthermore, look at verse 2 again. He says, you can be mighty in faith and be nothing. The gift of faith. He's not talking about faith, saving faith here. He's talking about uh, great trust in God. He, again, he ex uses it in exaggerated terms. Faith that can move mountains. So extraordinary um, that big obstacles are displaced perhaps in your mind. You, know, you, you can look like you have great confidence in God's power but still be without love. Wouldn't it be great if the Bible gave us an example of someone who had great faith in God's power and ability but had not love? Maybe you can think of one. The clearest one I can see is Jonah. The Old Testament gives us Jonah, the prophet. You see, he had great faith in the effectiveness of God's word. So much so that he refused to go preach it because he knew of its great power. And he resisted, again, preaching to Nineveh. He was not afraid of failure, but of success. Can you imagine? He did not want the wicked Ninevites to be saved. He had no love for them, not even after they repented. He did not want them to be saved, and he was resentful of the Lord's saving of them. Preaching wrought a great miracle as he believed it would, but the preacher was nothing because Jonah was without love for them. And the, and the Old Testament book leaves it hanging on that fact that Jonah did not, he did not love them. God used him it, despite his lack of love. The power of deed was God's. Jonah sadly had no love. Such remarkable gifts of prophecy and faith make us irrelevant without love, God says. A person is not measured by their gifts. I mean, if, if Jonah was a preacher today and there was articles and, 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 and books written about him, but this is, people record the, the story of Nineveh as the greatest revival that we have on record. And we, can't you see the headlines? It would be magnifying Jonah. But the Bible says it's, it's helping you realize it's not about Jonah at all. It was about God's power. Gifts of prophecy and faith make us irrelevant without love. A person is not measured by their gift. You, friend, and I are not measured by our gifts, but by love. 
And without love, a person is nothing. All the person's accomplishments and gifts will be forgotten. Friends, Paul has already talked about the purifying fires of, of God's testing of our work and building. He's already talked about that. He comes back to it again right here. Many works will be on the last day that you and I worked be revealed as wood, hay, and straw because we chose to labor in our own strength and forget to ask God to give us a love for Him and for His people. Friends, are you thinking rightly about yourself today? Are you discouraged maybe in ministry because of a lack of certain gifts? Friends, the most important thing before God Almighty is that you and I be filled with love of God and love for His people and love for the lost. It's from that God works in us. It's from that that God wants to work in our lives from the standpoint of us loving Him and loving others. Let us value that as God's Word values it. Third subpoint. Looking at verse 3. Without the love of Christ, we gain nothing. We gain nothing. So we've seen it in verse 1. We are irritating. That Verse 2, we are nothing. Verse 3, we gain nothing. Verse 3, like, what if I gave away all my possessions and and give myself up to martyrdom. Paul says you can do all of these things and be without love for God in your heart, and if so, you gain nothing. Many people, for example, and that's including all of, our, all of us, are tempted this way, try to justify themselves in the eyes of God through doing great things like giving or dying. When persecution of the early church became intense, some believers actually sought martyrdom as a way of becoming famous or of gaining special heavenly credit. Paul says, let's just put that to bed. It doesn't work like that. You know, for some, it's, it's just more natural to them just to go be more generous, to go and do more difficult things, and they become proud of that, but they're really not full of the love of God because they are achieving their own righteousness. Some... You know, some false religions encourage people to give themselves to blowing up their enemies and them, themselves in the process in order that they might gain heaven. That is an empty way. That leads to hell. That's not true at all. It's false and demonic. And people can give themselves like this and realize at all too late that they, as they stand before God, they have gained nothing. They've not gained some kind of paradise. They have gained judgment. How much you give or how much you lay down, it does not justify a person. It does not cleanse the guilty conscience. Friends, only love for Jesus Christ qualifies giving to be spiritual. It's repenting of our sins and turning to Christ and the work of the Holy Spirit being worked out in our lives. Jesus' command, he commanded us to give secretly in Matthew 6 to protect us from being tempted, from being false, unspiritual, and unloving. When our giving and dying is motivated by self-interest and pride, it loses its spiritual value.
As you look at verses 1 through 3, look at it. The loveless per person produces nothing, is nothing, and gains nothing. Pastor, what's Paul want us to think on heavily here? Our motives. He wants us to consider our motives, friends. Love cannot be restricted to actions alone, but also has to do with motives and intentions. You see, we're to avoid what John Piper calls the debtor's ethic. Let me explain. This kind of thinking comes packaged as gratitude ethic and says things like this, God has done so much for me, and now what will I do for him? How can I make sure I prove to him he made the right choice? That, that's not the right way to think about his kindness and grace. You know, he gave you his life now, how much will you give to him? You see, in this view, a Christian life is pictured as an effort to pay back the debt we owe to God, a debt we cannot ever pay back. Good deeds and religious acts are the installment payments, as it were, that we make on the unending debt we owe to God. That's not, that's not the place from where we, we, are, we are to serve the Lord. We need to remember that it's God who draws us in and works love in our hearts. Philippians 2, verse 13, it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. So no matter how orthodox, no matter how persuasive, no matter how relevant our words are or how helpful our service seems uh, superficially to be, without the motivation of love for God, in God's sight we are only causing a lot of commotion, being a non-representative, and gain none of God's delight.